you pass a gas station and it's another 90 miles. Now, I didn't realize that, but you're about halfway into that and you're on a two-lane Indian reservation road. And again, road's in great shape, nothing wrong with that. But you think to yourself, you look at your phone and you go, yeah, I have cell coverage, that's great. But how long would it take someone to get here if the car broke down? Welcome to The Shut Up Show. This is the Brave Solopreneurs Podcast, helping you shut up and make shit happen. Inside every episode, you'll hear raw and uncensored conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and thought leaders who bring their best work every day, despite being scared shitless. You'll gain mindset strategies on how to brave through your fears, tactical advice to help you define your shut-up moment, and impact-driven tips inspiring you to live and work on your own terms. I am your host and chief shut-upper of Making Shit Happen, Bernie Shaw. Now... On to today's episode. Wow, that was fast. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Shut Up Show. I'm your host, Bernie Shung, and I have an awesome and amazing guest here today. I don't know, it took so long for us to have him on the show, but I'm so excited because actually it was perfect timing. He just came back from an amazing journey, and I say that both in the figurative and the literal sense. So, Jim Raffle, thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Awesome. Thanks for the great introduction. <laughs> of course, of course. That's how I roll. You know, I bring on my friends and I make them sound really smart and really good. But you are, though. You really are smart and really good. And um, I'm going to back up a little bit before before we get you talking about, you know, why you're here. It's, it's really interesting to kind of see how paths converge over time. And the really, really cool thing about the serendipity between you and me is that I, I want to say it was like 2010. Um, I was part of a, of a movement, and I was working with somebody at the time doing very different things than I'm doing now. Yep. And I remember sitting at a Starbucks coffee in little old Sussex, Wisconsin. And for those of you from Wisconsin, you know it's a pretty small little place. And, it is. You know, everybody in the brother, for the most part, kind of knows each other there. But, uh, you know, at the time, I had moved out of Sussex over across the city, but my son was still going to the school in Sussex where, you know, pretty much most of the kids go. Well, while I'm sitting there at the Starbucks, all of a sudden this, this random guy really kind of freaked me out. He <laughs> came up to me. <laughs> and he's like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Are you part of such-and-such? And I'm like, how the hell did you know that? Like, seriously, how? What? What? And um, it happened to be you. And you and I asked you, who are you? And you said, my name's Jim Raffle, but on Twitter, I'm at Raffle. And I was like, oh my god, I totally know you. <laughs> and I, the, the, it's so funny, because the rest is history. From that moment on, you and I started to connect online. We knew the same people online, uh, people like you know Chris Brogan, for example. And then, little did we know, our sons went to the exact same school, and we used to live in the exact same village. You know, so it's just it's just crazy how small yes, yep. the world is, and we've been friends since. And I've just enjoyed watching your journey and evolution. So, Jim, that that's my warm welcome to you. I just couldn't wait to get you on the show and chit chat with you. That was a pretty fun meeting too. It was. Uh, I, I I think it was. Uh, you were carrying a a canvas bag that had the name of the movement on it. Yeah. <laughs> I immediately put two and two together. I'm like, there can't be that many of those canvas bags. So. Yeah, it's so funny. But, you know, it just goes to show, like, how attentive you are and obviously how social you are that you weren't afraid to go up and ask 
the question. Um, and so that's what I have found very interesting and intriguing about you and your story is, um, the, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you probably weren't naturally outgoing or extroverted. At least that's not the way I, I kind of picture you. But for some reason, you really are good at connecting to people, and you really are good at asking questions and selling and getting out there. Um, take me through that, because I kind of feel like, you know, I'm not sure if that's the case, but I feel like that with you. No, that's, that's actually a, a great observation. Um, no, I was not naturally extroverted and outgoing, which um, I'm quite sure some people watching this will find shocking. Uh, I was probably, I would describe myself as pretty close to painfully shy in high school. Uh, but my family owned a retail furniture store. And in our family, pretty much by the time you were 17 or 18, at least on the weekends, you were on the, on the floor helping sell because we didn't have a huge staff. So um, you basically, you learned sales techniques, which are, in fact, social engagement techniques and and I had some great teachers I mean not only my own my own father and my my, my brothers but uh, my my dad had hired a really top-notch group of salespeople some of them you know old-timers when I was in my late teens they were in their late 60s and some guys in their 30s and I, I got to see all kinds of different social engagement styles and I just kept trying things out and it was really at the time it was to it was to sell furniture and make money so I could go to college um, and then I, you know, basically I just kind of used those same skills. I remember driving 700 miles from Milwaukee to Rochester where I went to college and moving into the dorms, and I'm like, well, I guess I can probably meet people the same way. I mean, I was probably as scared as everyone on the on the floor. It was just I was willing to, you know, say, hi, I'm, I'm Jim. I'm from Wisconsin, whatever, um, and just, you know, put something out there and see what you get back. And that, that's kind of how social media works, too. Uh, it, it, it can, even social media can be frightening sometimes. You put something out there and you don't know what you're going to get back. But if you don't put it out there, you're not going to get anything back. Right, so. right. I love that because I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that that was your background. I, but I did have you know, a hunch that you know, engaging, if you want to call it that, didn't come natural. But the really great thing is you've, you've mastered it, um, even if it's painfully hard for you to still do to this day. And I know that that really helps you quite a bit, Jim. I mean, first starting out as a kid growing up in your dad's business, but then also starting your own small business as well as the journey you recently took, which we'll get into that in a minute. But it seems like engaging and customer building, relationship building, whatever you want to call it, selling, marketing, that all, it all seems like that happened pretty young in your life. What are some of the, uh, I guess, best tips or takeaways that you learned growing up have you incorporated into what you're doing now that has helped you to see a lot of success in your work? Well, um, hmm, that's a good question. I, I would say that there's there's two things, and although my my style is is very different than my father's. I mean, my father was a very um, I guess for lack of I think the word is regimented and and organized and methodical about everything he did, and I think that was his his World War II military training. Um, but but even though I'm not like that, knowing that sometimes you just have to sit at your desk and you got to do what you got to do on the day you got to do it. Because I watched him do it, and I watched him be successful by doing it. Um, I, I go through I go through cycles like that, and actually, 
I know you want to get to the journey in a second, but my first day back at my desk was Monday this week. And you can imagine after being away from your desk for a month, there's a lot of stuff to do. And I kind of did what my dad did, and I, I put it in piles and organized it. I made a list, and I worked through that list. Um, now, I don't think that's necessarily what makes me uniquely successful. I think it's one of the components. I think it's actually what makes me uniquely successful is that I can I can blend that and mix that with flying by the seat of my pants um, and or uh, you know getting out on the road and and meeting with people and not always being in the same place which is you know that that's how my dad made his living he was in the same place six days a week and he did it methodically and, and it worked very well but to, to have that as a fallback allows me to make the other things work Right, right. You know, and I think that's important because, you know, we as whether we're business owners, solo entrepreneurs or, you know, regular entrepreneur startups, right, or whatever we are, we have the tendency to be a little bit more creative and a little bit more outside the box. And so sometimes we think that means that we don't have structure or sometimes we think that means we don't have some kind of, you know, organization or foundation to build off of. But I think we especially, we really creative people, we especially need that kind of regiment or that kind of structure or organization because we get so right in our heads with all of the things that we're doing and all the things we're creating. So I think it is a very important thing that you bring that up, that maybe structure isn't the most important thing that you learned, but it was a very important tool that you incorporated in, in the way you run and work your business. Otherwise, you're going to run into the ground, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a springboard. It's a springboard or a foundation from which you can build. and in and I know that a lot of your audience is solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. Um, I'm fortunate that you know the team I'm part of has grown to approximately four people, depending how you measure it on any given day. And you know, with a team of four people, it becomes actually more and more important to have uh, processes and automation in place so things will take care of themselves. And again, I think that comes it goes right back to that stuff I watched my dad do. I think it was on. I think it was Tuesdays. He had this file, this this hanging file at his desk, and it was the follow-up uh, file. So every Tuesday he would go through that follow-up file, and any any pending special order, any pending financing deal, all of that, he would go through every single one of them every Tuesday just to see where they were at. So he had he had a process, he had a system, and you know our good friend Joe Sorge talks about that. that you have to systemize everything, otherwise you can't get out of the rest you can't get out of the restaurant you you just built and go build another one until you have processes and systems in place that allow other people to do what you did. Right. I love it. And especially for those who want to grow and those who want to scale, it's important to have the processes and procedures so that other people can emulate and model what you're doing so that you can go off and do other things yep. so you're not doing it yourself. So awesome. Well, we're going to get into the meat of this conversation because that's part of the reason why we had you, we're having you come on specifically when you are because we did want you on sooner. So you recently embarked on a journey, <laughs> like literally a journey where you drove across the country um, for 30 days. And I'm not going to ruin it by, you know, telling everybody what you did because I really want you to share that story. But the reason I really love that we're having you on to share the story is because this show is all about having fear and braving through it despite how scary it is to take that path, right, or to take that, make that decision or to take that journey because we're so afraid of what if we fail at the end or what if nobody cares, what if nobody's paying attention or what if I was wrong, you know, or all these other what ifs that cause us to not even move forward and take action at all. 
So if you could walk us through what was it, first of all, that you know kind of created this idea of, yeah, I'm going to get my car and drive across the country, right? And then secondly, how did you work through some of that inner chatter that this might not be a good idea or holy crap, I'm scared, um, that moved you forward to do it and now that you're back? So let's first start with the beginning of the journey. Well, it, it goes back pretty far. It's at least three, four years ago um, when I first had the thought that this this could be a a cool thing to do, um, and in it, in its original incarnation, it, it was probably it probably involved renting a small motorhome and silly stuff like that, which is not how it turned out. Um, but it was more there were there were really there's always been two driving forces. Number one is I travel so much anyway that I'm convinced that I can work from anywhere. Um, that myth was actually somewhat dispelled on this trip. I I don't know if I did a great job working. I think I did an okay job. I need to do some things differently next time. So that's actually a fear I have going into the next one is how do I do better at that? Um, and then the other piece of it was I won't lie. I'm getting the older I get, I'm getting sick and tired of the winters in Wisconsin. Not the mm -hmm. whole winter, just the length of the oh winter. Oh my gosh, yeah. So I thought if I could cut this short by four or six weeks, um, that would be fantastic. And then it, it kind of grew from there and it was I remember the first two times I talked about it, my wife just shook her head, you know, like I was crazy. Um, and as, as this year came closer and closer and I started talking more and more like it was real, she said, you're going to actually do this, aren't you? I said, I really think I am. And uh, originally it was going to be a very quiet little just kind of do it, not tell anybody about it and, mm -hmm. you know, visit some customers along the way and not necessarily tell them I had driven from where I live to where they are and the route I had taken, it was just going to be uh, more of a quiet escape for me. And I, I real the more and more I got into it, I realized that there was no way that with the how active I am in social media and how much that's helped grow our business that I could really do that. It wasn't it wasn't fair and it wasn't really nice to my community. It was almost it would be disingenuous to not make kind of a big deal about it. So there was a lot of fear with that actually, you know, coming out and saying I'm going to do this. I'm I'm going to do this. I'm going to put a, a wrap on the hood of my car that says where I'm going and when I'm going to be there and almost to a certain extent who I'm going to see because now you've made commitments and you know now you've got you've made commitments that are a month down the road and while the entire trip wasn't tightly scripted from day one there were certain points along the trip that I had to be there on certain days or it wouldn't work um, they were kind of they were key focal points that made the trip justifiable from a financial and a, and a business point of view so I don't know if that's a good intro. I'm sure you probably. Got, I'll let you. I'll oh, let you I have I have a ton more questions. And real okay. quick, what was the specific name again of your journey? Oh you well, the hashtag was six uh, k. So for six thousand miles, thirty days. So it was it was six thousand miles in thirty days. I actually posted a tweet earlier today. It ended up being uh, okay. Let me get the exact number. It was twenty nine <laughs> days. I it was twenty nine days. I know that part. It was twenty nine days and. Um, can't be that far back. There it is. Um, 6,978 miles. So it ended up being about, yeah, I thought it would be about 6,200 miles, and it ended up being 6,978. So, um, and in 29 days. Yeah. And it was almost, so it's almost 7,000 miles. As Not I bad. Very punctual. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. 
So I guess one of my first questions is, what what surprised you the most? I'm sure there's a quite a few things, but what was the biggest thing that surprised you that when you got done with the journey, you were like, holy crap, I didn't expect that to happen. Oh, didn't expect that to happen. Okay. Yes. Because uh, the the thing the thing that surprised me the most is how. Oh, I, okay. So okay. Start. Go. go ahead. Start with that thing, because that was the other one. Was what what did go well, or you know, what was something positive? Oh, well, no, this isn't a positive. This is oh, just okay. this is a realization. I had no idea how friggin' big the state of Texas is, and, <laughs> and until you drive through it, you can't. Um, all right. So let's go back to your original question. What, okay. what surprised me? Um, what surprised me? You know, I think if anything surprised me, it was my ability to drive. So, because there were there were people who joined in along the trip, but there were I think three, at least two two separate days where I drove over 750 miles by myself, and you know wasn't exhausted and burned out and you know fallen asleep and tired. So that kind of surprised me. I I I thought that would be a challenge and didn't turn out to be. So right. I mean it was. It was taxing. Why you, but why do you think that is? Well, I'm, I'm going to credit the vehicle, quite honestly. I mean, I've... I've uh, you have an awesome Audi, by the way. <laughs> yeah. it's, an, it's an older Audi A4, and it's, um, you know, that car is put together really well. It's still, it's got over 80,000 miles on it. still drives like it's the day I picked it up. And uh, and I think that makes a big difference. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't get a ton of road noise. You, it, it's a, it's a firm but smooth ride. Um, it's got a good stereo. It's got a comfortable seat. And I think all of that, you know, it's got a very adjustable seat. And I, I did find myself throughout the day playing with the seat a lot. You know, adjusting the lumbar supports in and out, seat back up and, you know, up and back, just to, you know, so you get, you don't get stuck in one position. And it, that stuff's all easy to do. And I think that's a big part of it is being comfortable. Um, and you just kind of get in a, and when you're comfortable, you get in a groove, and the next thing you know, you've driven 300 miles. So, so did you have Audi as a sponsor? Because that totally no. was like a nice commercial for no. them right there. <laughs> that would have that would have been pretty awesome. Okay, um, so the so the next time around, then you're gonna have uh, Audi as a sponsor. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, the the sponsors I had on this trip were all. <laughs> None of them were true, like out and out. They gave me money, financial sponsors, and I kind of liked it that way. That there were some trades. I mean, I love what Brilliant DPI did for us. You know, doing the printing the wrap and putting the wrap on. So, I mean, that's obviously financial. They, they it put, was beautiful. It yeah, looked so good, so they professional. Put, they put uh, they put effort in, and then our media sponsor, Print Media Center, did a great job promoting what we were doing. And 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 she's in our in our traditional print space, so so it was getting out to the people we wanted to know about it. And then the only other two sponsors were my own company, Color Metrics, and then the business travel site that Shelby and I uh, run. So um, it was – I liked it that way. I mean, I, it was just enough to kind of help make some things happen that I couldn't have done by myself, but right. I also didn't feel a lot of obligation to someone who had given me thousands of dollars to make this happen. Although, you know, if Audi wants to give me a, uh, you know, a brand-new uh, – uh, RS3 next year to drive. I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> we'll see if we can make that happen with our community. <laughs> right, right. 
Okay. No, that's awesome. I, I was so excited to find out because when I heard you were doing that, I was actually very envious. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I would so love to do that. But you're, you're right. I mean, all we see is kind of the glamorous parts of journeys like that. But there are the not-so-glamorous parts as well. And then you talked a little bit about that. You're like, holy crap, Texas is huge. But then at the same token, you you might have what what you might have underestimated ended up not being an issue and like you said having a comfortable vehicle that really facilitated a nice drive really allowed you to drive as long as you did um, you know during that time so um, I guess one of the other questions I have too then is um, what what did happen well like what did you plan for that when you incorporated it into this process it actually did help you out well some of it I, I just have to credit mother nature I mean from from the moment I arrived in Phoenix, for the next three weeks, I, I went across the southern part of the country from Phoenix all the way down to, um, well, through Texas into Louisiana to uh, New Orleans where I got to participate in Mardi Gras. Um, I saw the photos. I'm like, oh my gosh, what perfect timing. <laughs> that was a 36-hour blur. Uh, <laughs> all the way down to Miami and then back up to Savannah, Georgia. That was about a three-week period from, from, it was from a Wednesday to a Tuesday. And... In those three weeks, as I tell people, every day I could have comfortably worn shorts, t-shirts, and flip-flops. Now, I didn't every day because I had to visit customers. And some of the days it might have been a little chilly, but I, I could have easily done it. And then in that same three weeks, I had literally one and a half days of rain, and that was it. So, wow. you know, perfect weather does not, does not hurt on a trip like this. <laughs> now, I, I mean, early on, I had some weather issues. I mean, I, getting... The first, the first leg of the trip was up to Breckenridge, Colorado to ski, and I drove through snow pretty much from Milwaukee to Breckenridge, on and off. And when I went up into the mountains to go through, it's called um, Eisenhower Pass, to get into the, the ski areas in, in Colorado on I-70, um, it was Eisenhower Pass was very, very close to being closed. So it was a, a little harrowing getting up there and back down into Breckenridge. But again, I credit the car, you know, all-wheel drive, Audi brand new tires and it, it was I felt perfectly safe I felt bad for some people who were spinning all over the road but you know right. so there, there's you know there's there's areas that were kinda you talk about fear that was kinda like I wasn't so worried about myself as all the other people around me at that point so <laughs> well you were spoiled I will have to say um, so let's let's dive into the fear a little bit more, Jim. I mean, we obviously talked about the fear when you were about to embark on the journey, and maybe even stalling for those first couple of years before you finally said, "Yes, this is what I'm going to do." Right. Well, what about the fear while you were kind of like maybe halfway in, or maybe not quite to the end yet, and you kind right. of were like, "When is this going to end?" Was there some fear in there where you're kind of like, "Am I even going to finish this on time?" Or am I going to want to do this anymore? Or what if I run out of money? Or what if something bad happens what kind of fears were going on kind of like maybe midway in the all journey? the all the above I mean that that's it's inner you hit on you hit on all of them and I'll kind of I'll kind of take them in order um, the, the you, you mentioned that what if something happens I, I distinctly remember a section in New Mexico where I was, I was drove from Breckenridge to Phoenix in one day which is 769 miles the way I did it and there was a section in New Mexico where for about 90 miles you don't you don't see anything other than um, really kind of random shacks that people are living in it's, it's on an Indian reservation it's not a it's not an economically uh, uh, up, up and coming area let's put it that way the roads are great 
and everything, you know, I didn't feel unsafe. It was just that there's this 90-mile stretch where you pass a gas station and it's another 90 miles. Now, I didn't realize that, but you're about halfway into that, and you're on a two-lane Indian Reservation road, and again, the road's in great shape, nothing wrong with that, but you think to yourself, you look at your phone and you go, yeah, I have cell coverage, that's great, but how long would it take someone to get here if the car broke down? And then you start, you know, and at that point I started to go, well, it really wouldn't be that big a deal. I mean, you know, if I sit here an hour, two hours, whatever, but wait a minute, now they're going to have to tow me somewhere that can actually service an Audi in the middle of New Mexico. Um, <laughs> You start you start doing the math for first how, world problems, right? <laughs> right, and then and then you're like, and I have to be in Phoenix because that's one of the hard dates in this in this trip. And you know, this is I'm driving on Wednesday, and I have to, I absolutely drop dead have to be there on Friday, no matter what, or the whole trip's going to get messed up from that point on. And so you, so you know, there's some fear there. It's like, what if what if I break down here and now? This would be terrible. Um, you know, the money's always an issue. What if you know? What if I what if what if some of the stuff in the company doesn't happen financially like I thought it was? I tried to have all that in order before I left, and it mm -hmm. turned out I did. Um, so so that was that was less of a concern for me than I thought it might have been. But if you if you added a breakdown in there, that might have become a bigger concern. Um, <laughs> although I tried I tried to have a contingency fund for stuff like that up you know up to a certain point. Um, and then uh, there was a third part to that. What did I miss? Um, well, it could be anything. I mean, was there anything like emotional and mental going on in terms of being alone, or you know, having? There, thank you. So yeah, and there were so there were transitional points in the trip. Um, one of my business partners, Shelby, was along for part of the trip, and you know, the, the the morning I dropped her off at the airport and had to drive all day by myself, and then you know checked into a hotel, and it's like after having been with someone for whatever it was, ten days, it's like you go like, oh, I'm here by myself again. It's like. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> right. um, you know, because it, it was literally a whole, you know, that, that was after Mardi Gras. So you, you, you spend a day and a half, two days at Mardi Gras, and then you drop off your friend and business partner, and you're alone driving in the, that was one of the rainy days. You're alone driving in the rain all day. And, you know, you get to a hotel, and you're by yourself, and it's like you got to go to dinner by yourself, and it's like, I'm just going to turn around and go home. Now, part of it was, you know, in two more days, my wife was meeting me in South Florida, so that got me through it. But the other thing that gets you through it is you just go, you know what? You grab your phone, you look at your weather app, and you go, well, it is 65 degrees here, and I'm eating outside, and it's negative 8 at home. <laughs> I remember seeing those updates on Facebook, too, and I'm like, thanks, Jim, for rubbing it in. Because, yes, it is. And I wasn't really rubbing it into you guys. I was reinforcing for myself why I had done this. It was one of the major reasons. I... I definitely suffered from seasonal effectiveness disorder, and yeah. I haven't this way. I mean, I, I was getting to that point at the beginning, you know, before I started the trip, but, you know, since I've been back, our days are getting longer. Actually, the sun's out right now, and, you know, February is the month that I always struggle with, and I, I didn't struggle with February this year, so yeah. well, um, you know, I, I, I think that's a real positive, too, actually. Well, another positive too, I'm led to believe that with the following that you have built and with all the friendships that you've made on social media, how much did the friends on social media and just giving you that online encouragement, how much did that really help you in this journey? Oh, it's huge. I mean, I I would invariably, um, you know, post something on social media and uh you know, like say I'd say I'd stop and take a picture of a sunset. I, I remember doing that in on the way between Flagstaff and Phoenix, and 
I posted, which is one of the most beautiful pictures. That, not that I, it's the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen, and people people picked up on that. They realized it too, and it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to be in the right place at the right time. And I remember getting down into Phoenix. You know, it was only two hours later, two and a half hours later, and I grabbed my phone because I really tried not to look at it while I was driving, and I had so many notifications on on Instagram and and this was an interesting on Instagram and Facebook and. I got virtually no interaction on this trip on Twitter, which just weird. Because isn't Twitter where you typically hang out, right? It well, it's where well, I. Well, that's where I met you. Yeah, yeah it's it's it's, it, but Twitter is Twitter is very real time. If you aren't, if you aren't replying to people kind of right away, they sense that you're not replying. Yeah. And they lose interest. Whereas I think uh, Instagram and Facebook are both. They're both more asynchronous, where people don't expect instantaneous response. I think, I think Twitter people view like texting or the phone. Right. They want instant gratification, instant feedback, and that was that was an interesting lesson I learned on the trip. But yeah, you're right. The, the social media family really helped at times, you know. And you know, you'd be laying, in, you know, laying in your bed watching TV at night on one of those nights I was alone, and you you realize, you know what, I'm not alone. I'm I'm you know messaging with a dozen people. So yeah. yeah. That's so cool, Jim. It's so what I love about your story and having you on the show is you're one of the very few people that I've known kind of like pre shut up show, you know, pre the stuff that we're doing now and seeing the evolution and seeing how much you've evolved and changed and you've really honed your voice. And when I say voice, I mean like, you know, your voice online and and, and the brand that I've come to know you for. Um, I'm just so blown away because it's um, definitely, I feel like it's 180. Not that there was anything wrong before, but the vulnerability that you show and your ability to talk openly about fear and things that scare the crap out of you, um, I, I'm humbled by the fact that you do that because I don't think it's easy for people to do that these days. Um, so, so with that said, um, I have the big question of, the show before uh, we let you go and ask people, you know, uh, ask you to tell people where to find you. But um, right now, I mean, you just came back literally from the journey. Just how long ago? Two days ago? One day ago? Saturday. So uh, okay, almost, Saturday. Almost a week. Yeah, almost a week. Okay, so almost a week now. Okay, and obviously a lot has changed, and there is a lot left to do now that you're back. And again, you're you're probably going to embark on a journey like this again in the near future. But right now, as we sit here today on Thursday, what the heck is scaring the crap out of you today? And how can we, the Shut Up Show community, help support you as you go through that? What's scaring the crap out of me today? Um, uh, in, uh, honestly, it's just it's getting back in getting back into the routine. It's, it's harder than I thought it would be. I mean, yes, I'm in the routine. Yes, I'm sitting at my desk. Um, but there's part of me that wants to go in the closet and grab my suitcase and throw my clothes in it and get back on the road. And it's not because I don't like being at home. Um, that's not the case at all. It's just I I figured out that there's a big part of my DNA that is a, a nomad or a wanderer. I really I really didn't mind it. I mean, it was I, I fell into the, the routine of being on the road probably more naturally than I fall into the routine of, of being home. Um, but you know me, and I travel a lot already, so that problem is going to fix itself. I mean, I've already got, I think since since I got back, I've planned four, four, four business trips. Nice. Now, the cool, well, the cool <laughs> thing is at least two of those trips are directly related, and there's actually a fifth trip in the works, um, which would mean three of those five trips are directly related to 
meetings that occurred on the trip, and this is this is follow up uh, follow up travel to um, potentially generate significant new business for the company. So, and there's always fear in that. I mean, when growing a company is not fear free. I mean, everyone thinks it's fun to just go out and grow, 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 grow. Well, growing involves a lot of I got it. That that team of four people might have to become six or eight, and it's like I do a great job with a four-person team. Um, how am I going to do with a six or eight-person team? You know, th right. things like that. I mean, that's 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 probably my biggest fear is is, is how am I going to handle the, the growth that I think is coming with the company? So right, right, which is a good problem to have. But like you said, you know, growing and taking yourself to the next level, it's a whole new set of frustrations and challenges, mm -hmm. <laughs> nonetheless. Yeah. So, is there anything that the Shut Up Show community can do to support you? How would you like us to support you through that growth? I could use a great PHP programmer. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, if there's anybody, yeah, if there's anybody in the audience who's a PHP yeah. programmer, <laughs> holla. <laughs> we, someone who wants to work on a, a contract 1099 basis, we got we have a project coming up, and we're gonna need we're gonna need some more bodies. So that, that's probably the biggest way you could help me right now. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, that's a perfect segue then, because then the final question is, uh, what do you have coming up? What are you working on? And how can people find you? So go ahead and pimp yourself up. Okay, so um, from a public perspective, Color Metrics is is basically re redefining our products. Um, actually, Shelby's in the process of a rebranding project that I probably shouldn't even be talking about yet, but we are. So we're rebranding our, our two existing products and repositioning them a little bit. Um, and then we've got some some stuff we can't talk about. We're doing for specific clients, and that's where we need these developers. So that's exciting. Um, that's going to allow us to grow. And then. Um, uh, as far as finding me, that's pretty easy. Uh, you already mentioned one of them on Twitter at Raffle. Uh, Shelby and I have a, a website, Shehe Media. The, just think of the girl first, S H E H E Media, and we do a uh, actually a chat on Twitter every Thursday night. And so every every Thursday morning, we do a post that talks about what that chat's going to be, and it's usually social media related. Um, and then I've got my own blog, which is my name, JimRaffle.com. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming back from your journey and joining yep. us on the Shut Up Show. I've been so excited to hear Excellent. about the journey, and it sounds like it went well. So, congratulations! I know that wasn't easy, and it's done. So, so now yes. on to planning the next one, right? <laughs> I am. I've got it. I've got it planned in my head. So, yep. Cool. Well, we'll make sure to bring you back on again when you do that one. So, right. Jim, thanks. thanks again for joining us. It was such a pleasure to chat with you again. Thanks, Bernie. It was my pleasure. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Shut Up Show. The Shut Up Show is sponsored by The Amazing Cells. That's S-E-L-Z dot com. Seriously, simple selling. Go check them out. Every Monday we deliver an inside edition of The Shut Up Show right to your inbox. Plus, as a bonus, get instant access to download a free copy of our 18-page ebook, The Solopreneur's Guide for Shutting Up and Making Shit Happen. Simply go to our website at theshutupshow.com slash subscribe and join other brave entrepreneurs who are shutting up and making shit happen. If you believe in The Shut Up Show and this platform has helped you shut up and make shit happen, please head on over to iTunes, search for The Shut Up Show in the podcast section and leave us an honest star rating and review. Your feedback will help us to gauge what we're doing well and where we need to continue to improve. The ratings and reviews help us to continue to bring on amazing sponsors like Cells so that we can deliver weekly episodes to you for free. 
so your feedback does matter. Thank you for helping us and supporting us.